Pastor Xavier Reese and a psalm of confidence in the faithfulness of God. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Those who fear God's name, there is a heritage that is given to them. And that heritage is for now. It keeps us from evil. It guards our mind. It keeps us from presumptuous sin because we fear the Lord. And that is a profitable inheritance for now, for abundant life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Faced with a distressing situation, David prayed that God would hear and listen to his cry for aid. Even though he felt his heart faint and feeble, he confidently looked to God to lead him to safety. But David's prayer of Psalm 61 also teaches us to include praise and commitment to the vows we make. And coming up, Pastor Xavier illustrates how for David and all of God's faithful, an inheritance of abundant life is due those with a fear and awe for the Almighty God. Let's join him for today's Simple Truths from our verse-by-verse study series of the Psalms. Psalm 59 is to the chief musician, and it's said to do not destroy. This is the last of that title from Psalm 57 to 59. And once again, we have the um, phrase, a mishtam, which means to cut or engrave, giving the idea of permanency for teaching. Sometimes these are called golden psalms also. Maybe some of your Bibles may have that uh, reference to it on the side, the footnotes. It's a psalm of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. We find that in 1 Samuel 19, verses 10 through 17. You recall that um, David was fleeing Saul wanted to kill David, and he had given his daughter Michael to be his wife. And when he gave her to him, he said, I know how I'll ensnare him. I will give him Michael. So she must have been quite a lady. And she let him down by a window, and then to cover his absence up, she put the what's called teraphims, or the, the family gods, which is an interesting aspect to the house of Saul also, that his daughter had little idols. But these idols couldn't have been too little because she put them in bed and they were to be mistaken as David. So they were pretty good size. And um, when they came to get David, um, Michael told his servants that he was sick in bed. They went back to Saul and said, listen, he's sick in bed. He says, you bring him here bed and I'll, and I'll kill him right here. And they went back and they found out that um, he had escaped and um, she had covered up for him, and uh, he got kind of upset with her. This is where this psalm fits during that time. It's a psalm of protection by confidence in God. Verses 1 through 9, you have the danger proclaimed. Verses 10 through 17, the deliverance prayed. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. The word defend me means set me on high. You ever feel like that when things are so bad and you just want God to lift you up and just put you somewhere where nobody can get to you? This is David. He was fleeing. He declared his innocency. He thought that there was a step between him and death. And uh, yet God had anointed him and called him. He says, deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. 
not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. So he declares here his innocency. Interesting that in the beginning of David's reign, he could do that. But as he moved on in life and he had um, uh, failures, he cried more for the mercy of God rather than justice or innocency. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. And here now, uh, the prophecy in verse 5, the nations means the Gentiles. So there's a, a two-fold application here, um, long-term-wise, prophetic-wise, when God would judge the nations. We know that Psalm 2 speaks when Jesus returns. He will judge the nations. He will have them in derision. He will laugh at them. And the exhortation is to kiss the son, lest he be angry with you before his return. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And then the word sila, which means pause. At evening they return. They growl like dogs. And so now he pictures them as dogs that um, they're just uh, wild dogs, just scavenging uh, the countryside and going all around the city. Indeed, they belch out with their mouths. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? In other words, hey, nobody's going to hear what's going on. But you, O Lord, here's his, uh, he starts turning, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. O you, his strength, I will wait for you, for God is my defense. Now his prayer begins. My merciful God shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. And so David is not really praying for their destruction as much as for their humiliation before man. He says, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl as if they're not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, the God of my mercy. And so David's trust in God during times of troubles. In Psalm 60, once again to the chief musician, and this is when David fought against uh, Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah, and Jacob returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Saul. And so you can identify this with uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8 and 1 Chronicles 18. Very short segment. There's only a few verses that is given to that, but they identify this psalm with that. The psalm is um, a psalm of defeat at the hand of God. Who's the one declaring the psalm? David. You mean God fought against his own people? Yes, we find that in scripture many times. Then when God's people disobey God, it is God who fights against his own people. Even we as Christians, at times we feel that um, we can disobey God and we can do our thing and, and God is responsible to us regardless what. But God really isn't. He's sovereign and he does as he wills. And if we presume upon the grace of God, there comes a time when God uh, may not honor that. 
But let me say at the same time that if God has honored the abuse of grace in your life, just give him thanks. But it's not doctrine. It's not a rule. It's one of the mistakes that men make often is that when God is silent about sin in their life, they either think that he condones it or that he, they are the exception. But remember, God doesn't settle all his accounts in one day, but one day he will settle all of his accounts. Nobody gets away with anything, not you, not me. Nobody. And so God is seen here in um, Psalm 60 as a fighting against his people. Verses 1 through 5 is the acknowledgement of God's opposition. Verses 6 through 8, the acknowledgement of God's prophetic judgment. Verses 9 through 12, you have uh, the acknowledgement of confidence in God. O God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O restore us again. There's an acknowledgement. We haven't pleased you, Lord. And our defeat is in direct relationship to your hand. You have made the earth to tremble. You have broken it, healed its breaches for its Shaking. So apparently God used a natural phenomena, an earthquake. And they knew it was directly by Him. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion, staggering. And so God sometimes shows us through hard things, doesn't He? Sometimes in His own sovereignty, we are allowed to suffer difficult things that we don't understand when we are innocent. And sometimes God allows us to understand through hard things when we have sown and we reap to the whirlwind. But God is still in control. But the ultimate end, whether in innocence or in guilt, God is desiring to teach us, to instruct us, to get our ear that we may turn to Him in whatever the situation may be. You have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has broken or God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Now the interesting thing here uh, in verse 6, he speaks about God has spoken in his holiness. Uh, it's a reference to the attribute of God of perfection. In other words, God is perfectly holy, therefore He cannot lie. And whatever He has spoken, it will surely come to pass. How many times does God have to say anything for you and I to believe it? Only one time. He can't lie. And so, some of the critics trying to oppose some of the scriptures about the virgin birth of Christ or something, or different things, they try to point to one time it's mentioned or two times or whatever. How many times does God have to say it for you to believe it? Here the psalmist says one time is sufficient. You can count on it. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a fact. He doesn't uh, seek to prove it. He doesn't seek to write a science book so we can understand it. He just declares it. And for those who come to Him in faith, it's understood and accepted. And that's the way God requires us to come to Him. In verse 7, he says, Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is a helmet of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. What's he saying through all this? He's the one in control. Everything belongs to him. Both the good and the evil. He's the creator. Moab is my washpot. The reference to washpot there is to, they will be in subjection. 
remember the, uh, that uh, Ruth was a Moabitess, the Moabs. Uh, they were always a, a thorn in the flesh to Israel. He would humble them. Over Edom, I will cast my shoe. Edom were the Edomites, the descendant of Esau, and the reference to casting his shoe towards them would be humiliation, judgment, Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And so the psalmist acknowledges that it is by the hand of God that they're overthrown. And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. It is so easy to depend upon man. Uh, we look at the resources, we look at what they can do, we look at different things, and yet, if God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says in Romans. And if we're walking in obedience, then, then who are we to fear? He says, through God we will do valiantly, for it is He who shall tread down our enemies. And so the psalmist begins recognizing that God is the one who's fighting against them. But then he ends up with confidence that as they have acknowledged their sin and asked for help, God will hear. Psalm 51. To the chief musician on a string instrument. It's a psalm of David. It's a prayer of David in exile. Psalm 61 to 63 um, are believed to have been during the time of Absalom in his rebellion against David. And that must have been a difficult time. Stop and, and, and think and contemplate if you can. Your very son overthrows you. Your very son becomes the very thorn of your life. The one who you would uh, love and adore and give all. And yet it seems that he's always opposing you or, or trying to do things behind your back. It must have been difficult for David. But remember that David, though he's said to be a man after God's own heart, David was not the best of fathers. He was really a, a, a bad father. He didn't discipline his children. He neglected his children. And um, due to his failure and sin in his own life, his children followed after his example. And it was costly when Nathan the prophet came to him. He pronounced judgment upon him and says, The sword shall never depart from your house. He went into Bathsheba. He stole a man's wife. He killed Bathsheba's husband. So his son raped his daughter. His son murdered his other son. His son rebelled against him and took his kingdom. And the very first thing he did when he came into the kingdom and David, rather than to fight against his own son, he just left Jerusalem. The first thing that his son Absalom did as a manner of the day was is to have a tent spread over the rooftop of his palace. And he went into all the concubines that he had left in the palace sexually to demonstrate to all of Israel that he had conquered over the old king. It must have broken David's heart. And yet his love for his son was so tremendous that when they actually went out to battle against his son, he waited at the city because they would not let him go out. And he was waiting for news. And when news came, he asked, what happened? And he said, is it well with the young man? And the messenger said, he's dead. And it crushed David. So much so that he really had kind of 
poured vinegar on the victory. So much that his general came to him and says, David, if you don't get up and if you don't celebrate and commend your people, I'll lead a rebellion against you. Sometimes our love for families or individuals can really take our joy away from what God is doing because we are so brokenhearted. And it could equally blind us. None of us is exempt from that. And hopefully we'll have godly men and women along our side that will come alongside and rebuke us if need be and get us back on track. But it must have been really difficult for David during that time of uh, his son's rebellion. A real heartbreak. And David was never the same after his sin. His house and his kingdom just went downhill. Verse 1, he says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Verses 1 through 4, you have his prayer. Verses 5 through 8, you have his proclamation. Notice in verse 2, he says there that he would cry to him from the ends of the earth. He's in exile. He's across Jordan. He's away from the sanctuary. He feels far from God. Though God cannot occupy or inhabit a building, yet he identifies with the physical tabernacle. When he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, literally it says, to a rock that is too high for me. God is our rock, Deuteronomy 32 says. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? That he is the son of the living God. It is not upon Peter, but upon Jesus Christ that the church is built. And so David cries out that um, God would lead him to that rock. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower, from my enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And so he speaks of God's past faithfulness, how he has delivered him. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. It's an interesting phrase, the so heritage of those who fear your name. Those who fear God's name, there is a heritage that is given to them. And that heritage is for now. It keeps us from evil. It puts a door at our lips. It guards our mind. It keeps us from presumptuous sin. Because we fear the Lord. And that is a profitable inheritance for now, for abundant life. Peter says that we have an, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, which is reserved in heaven. It doesn't fade away. 1 Peter 1.4 that's for then. But how about your heritage now? That is based on the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge also. The first step and after the first step is fear of the Lord all over again. Verse 6 he says, You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever, O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. And so you have the psalmist here declaring his vows to God, his prayer, while he's in exile, longing for the fellowship with God. In Psalm 62, we have a psalm of David again to Judithum, uh, to the chief musician. It's a psalm of complete dependency on God. Verses 1 through 4, you have... Dependency for deliverance, verses 5 through 8 for hope, and verses 9 through 12 for strength. Notice the progression for deliverance, for hope, and for strength. 
We come to God and man, when we're in trouble and we cry out for deliverance. And from there we move on to trusting hope in God. And then we end up being strong in Him. And so the psalmist here in 62, he says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. Literally verse 1 says, Only unto God is my soul silent. He only is my rock, there it is again, and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. Notice in the beginning of the psalm, he says, I will not be greatly moved. He's not too confident right now. He says, I may be moved, but not, you know, not too much. By the time he ends up, he says, I won't be moved at all. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. Beautiful picture. Preparation to fall. Weakness. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. You ever meet people who are shaking your hand and stabbing you in the back at the same time? And you know it. You're looking them right in the face and you know they're lying. You know they're conniving. It's, it's amazing what some people can do. But that's the way of the world. You guys can identify with that. I can. Um, I was out there long enough to be able to do things like that. Um, you lose the sense of, of conviction. You lose a sense of consciousness. You lose a sense of uh, right and wrong. You just get callous. And it is amazing what people um, can give themselves over to. Verse 5, he says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is... From him, and the word expectation there in verse 5 is hope. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Now he's gone from greatly moved to not be moved. There's the progression. And you and I will find that when we give ourselves to the Lord and we go to prayer, we may not begin very confident. We may begin grumbling, complaining. But as we wait on the Lord, we'll end up high. Because God's Spirit will deal with us and minister unto us and bring us to a very confident and hopeful position in Him. Not in our situation, not in our own strength, but in God who is the rock that we're to trust in. And God is my salvation and my glory. The God of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And so you need to pour out your heart to God. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the balances, they are altogether lighter than vapor. That's a good contrast. <laughs> Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's easy to be humble when you don't have anything. It's hard to be humble when you have everything. Hey, listen, you get riches, great. God has blessed you, but don't trust in them. Don't trust in them. But James talks about the rich man. You know, be careful. Don't trust in those riches. I mean, if God has blessed you, be a good steward of them. See what God has. But God forbid that you trust in those riches. Don't set your heart on them. God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his works. So the aspect of God speaking once and speaking twice, you can count on it once again. Pastor Xavier Reed. 
voice with encouragement from the Psalms that despite any expectation of an uncertain world, the merciful God of the Bible is a rewarder to the faithful. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own CD copy of this study from a verse-by-verse study series of the book of Psalms. Today's message is simply titled Psalms, chapters 59 through 66, and is available for only $4 upon request. By the way, we'll be including much more material on the CD than our limited time on the air allows. So once again, the title to ask for is Psalms, chapters 59 through 66. Or you can always just mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 